0: Welcome to The Weekly Hook, the podcast where one of us chooses a topic they're hooked on and the other has no idea what's coming. We're your hookers, Chris and Richard, and today let me talk to you about some books that most likely you'll never read. So if that's (laughs) not a great start, I don't know what is. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and get in touch with us at serialhook.com where you can also get all of our latest info. And with that, I'm going to conclude my little trilogy of authors that I've done recently, if you haven't noticed, uh, by talking about German novelist Dörte Hansen today. Rashad, have you ever heard of her?
1: I doubt. I doubt it. Nope, I have not. Have yes. you... Yeah, nope, absolutely not. No idea. <laughs> you could have given me like a thousand guesses about anything about this person, and I would not have. Maybe other than the fact that she's potentially German. I'm not even entirely sure. So, oh, no. you said German. You literally just said German. But no. <laughs> um, all right, I'm excited. I'm going to learn something, and I will take vigorous notes. <laughs>
0: okay. So I'm going to do it a little bit differently than t- when I was talking about Paul Auster or Haruki Murakami, because... Well, the other two have written like more than like dozens of books at this point. And Dörte Hansen has only just published her third. So I'm going to actually talk about the three of them in detail. And yes, it's going to be entirely spoilering everything. But also this is an English language podcast. So I'm um, and I'm not sure these books are ever going to be translated into English. So I'm just I feel very okay <laughs> with uh just talking about the you know the plot and the themes of the books in detail. Go right ahead. Thanks. Uh it's one of these things where I found myself whenever reading. I don't know why it is why why it is like that with reading for me, but I just kind of tend to make really like safe calls, so I tend to read things that are pretty much like accepted to be good wildly <laughs> um and Der Hansen did write a lot of like like her first few books were like one on the bestseller lists in Germany for a long time um so it was it was kind of a safe bet. But uh, at the same time, I try to like s- stick to the classics, which is also has problems in and of itself. As it's like what, who decides what canon is, like w- what's part of the literary canon, which, you know, all of those like white men, old white men problems, I suppose. Uh, but with her, I just I don't I don't even know when, how I came across her work, probably because it was pretty, you know, sold pretty well. Which sometimes doesn't help, like somebody's case, because sometimes I'm a contrarian and, like, like with uh, what was it, Game of Thrones in the very beginning, for example, or I think Dune as well. I was like, no, everybody's talking about it. I don't wanna, I don't wanna like take part in this. Uh, if if everybody likes it, I don't wanna like it, sort of thing. Or Sounds I don't want to. Sounds so see. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, but with her, I. I bought I bought her book uh, Old Country uh, or Altesland in German and it just got me hooked immediately because you know we'll get into what I like about it but it just from the very first chapter I was just loving it and she just really nails tone in her uh,
1: in her uh, works and so you know that's what keeps me coming back to it i looked up the english translation for that book and apparently it has been translated to english it's the only book of hers that has been translated and the title is this house is mine
0: ah interesting yeah that makes sense as well um That that, that makes sense if you know the book, obviously. Uh, So yeah, if you want to (laughs) read This House is Mine, uh, I strongly encourage you to do so. If
1: you don't want to be spoiled about it, I guess skip this episode. We still thank you for listening, but if you want to not get spoiled, you know, get out. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Cool. So yeah, in German, that book is called Altes Land because it is set in the eponymous marshland south of hamburg which is the biggest fruit producing region in northern europe with mostly apple but also some cherry orchards and the novel follows two women one of whom is vera who has been a displaced person as a ref- like a refugee basically as a five-year-old forced to leave her home in eastern prussia after the second world war Her mother and her arrive in that region of uh, the old country, quote-unquote, and they find refuge, but they are discriminated against heavily for years. And Vera gets a reputation as eccentric, peculiar, and makes a living as the village dentist later on. She continues living in the house she and her mother were first sheltered in after her arrival to uh which she has a love hate relationship which now that you've told me what the english translation's title is makes sense as well because uh that there is a kind of a recurring theme in the uh in the novel that there is something inscribed in one of the uh uh in in like somewhere in the in the house that you know no, this house is like not for you it's, you're kind of there, just, you're, you're basically tolerated by the house, but don't feel too safe here. Always be on your toes. And yeah, there's this sort of nostalgic melancholia uh, not for the past that actually happened to her, because her, la- uh, her life is f- filled with a lot of pain that literally haunts her. But it's mostly, a fe- I think, a feeling of spiteful survival, proving to herself and everyone else that she does actually belong there, despite always being an outsider, uh, constantly othered. Because in this community, you only belong to it if you've been born to it. And especially, you know, she she gets a lot of resentment and uh, yeah, discrimination because she comes from basically Eastern Europe. Um that becomes very clear, even though she 's also you know german it doesn 't really matter because you know there is some racism there about like Eastern Europe from a german like central European perspective mm. and yeah the this notion that you know you uh you only belong if you 've been born there is somewhat challenged in the present because the the novel as all of her novels have a lot of different timelines and flashbacks and all of that which just really i think is a really interesting like dota hansen is really good at kind of interweaving those and you know when does information from the past tell you more about the present that you couldn't understand as a reader beforehand and yeah it's it's, she just does it really really well and so yeah in the present there is an influx of well-to-do city dwellers that who romanticize rural life and move from this from this like close urban areas to the country to perform as the novel puts it peasant theater so they are sort of they are all used to living in big cities and now that they're living in the country, they have incredibly romanticized it and they're kind of performing what they think is part of living in the country. And there is a lot of tension between the villagers whose family have lived there for centuries and the new arrivals. At the same time, though, the uh, established farmers all struggle with the economic pressure of what is, you know, widely referred to as grow or die, um uh, with you know a lot of farmers having to either you know just grow their farms and maybe take over somebody else's farms on, mostly on credit or they just have to sell themselves because it's not lucrative anymore to have one of these like small to mid-sized farms anymore and some of the farmers now start catering exactly to that desire about that this like rural idyllic life and uh you know that that is kind of that doesn't help the tensions (laughs) i want to say um but it's it's just this incredibly like sarcastic tone in which these passages are written where you can just feel all of the different thoughts of the because it's it's you know it follows two protagonists but you can see it from different perspectives still and uh, you you kind of you kind of get into the heads of some of the people who either have been living there for a long t- long time or who just arrived there. And one of the new arrivals is different, and she is Anne Vera's niece, who can't bear staying in her social circle of young affluent families in Hamburg after the relationship to her son's father has ended. So she packs up her things and yeah, she seeks refuge basically in the same house that Vera arrived at more than 60 years ago and Vera begrudgingly takes them in and whilst they are slowly trying to adapt to to the new situation, they're also processing their grief and their hurt from, you know obviously different origins but there is also some sort of i want to say uh you know intergenerational trauma here um and so i don't want to go too much into detail uh what that entails because it is kind of you know uh i mean i i kind of went into it with vera a little bit where that came from but uh you know it it is kind of an interesting parallel between the different um generations as well, because Anne also has been shaped by her mother and who you know is is Vera's sister and who were raised basically at the at the same point in time, but Vera is the older sister, and she actually um she made that migration from uh eastern Prussia to Hamburg or to the old country and there there is this there is this moment as well where they like her mother had a had a toddler with her in like a little like how do you call it these little push wagons where you put your children a stroller yeah like a stroller yeah and at some point they just leave that kid in that stroller in like the fucking winter oh oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty harsh how that is described and and uh you know later on when after a few years Vera's mother, you know, get um yeah, kind of starts a new relationship with one of the farmers in, in their new area. And the the child that comes from that is Anne's mother. And so while they have been growing up under you know kind of similar circumstances there is just so much more that vera has gone through and so there is kind of a there is also a different sort of vibe of how they grow up and how their mother treats them because vera also for for their mother is sort of uh like part of some memories that she would rather forget and there is a lot of neglect in the family and so that all of that comes with that intergenerational trauma that you know Anne definitely feels, even though she hasn't really had any contact with Vera, but they de- they definitely have very similar grievances, and it's really interesting to to just see and how it's described. It's just I, I don't know. There there is this sort of language that just really cuts to cuts to the bone of things, and it's just so matter-of-factly as well most of the time which is just really interesting it just it doesn't take you know it's not trying to be careful sometimes it just states things and then you're like oh wow yeah this is really like some really really hurtful things that are just presented very matter-of-factly and that kind of has this jarring quality of it which i think really i mean it makes the reading uncomfortable but that's kind of what makes it interesting in my opinion
1: wow this book is really um interesting to me like it's yeah it's pushing a lot of like very familiar buttons i kind of like it uh you know yeah. migration movement discrimination and trauma all, like <laughs> and a difficult reading for the sake of like for the purpose of it is it's kind of like it yeah. yeah so maybe you should read it now
0: that it that i we found out that it is in english it's funny like, i just assumed that it's not going to be translated um for for a reason that i'm going to get into later but um yeah, so it's kind of a bittersweet domestic novel with a lot of satire sprinkled in as well. And I mean, if it pushes your button, I'd be really curious if you ever want to read it. Like to hear your, uh, do you hear your thoughts about it? Because you know, obviously, I think language has a huge part of it as well. Obviously, and I wonder how some of the things can or can't be translated into another language. Um, yeah. I'd be really curious so if you want to take one for the team and and read that book, I'd be really curious um
1: yeah, I'm yeah. reading a book currently, but uh, maybe after that and you know some, you know how how long it takes me to read books sometimes but <laughs> I will um it's it's next on the list how about that cool that's that's really that makes me very happy so yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so here goes uh you know here's uh a lot of things that I've spoiled but
1: whatever (laughs) here we are the thing is Uh, with me i don't care a i don't care about spoilers and b i'm gonna forget everything you said because i forget everything (laughs) on the podcast so (laughs) yeah
0: it's very true so that's great yeah so i'm gonna you know i think i'm gonna leave it with that with, with this novel uh and yeah if we if you've read it maybe we can come back and do a little little update on what you thought i'd be really curious to discuss that um So yeah, her second novel is called, in German, it's called Mittagsstunde, which translates to midday or noon hour. And it centers around Ingwer, who's a researcher of of prehistory and archaeology, who takes a sabbatical to return to his home village south of the German-Danish border in order to care for his elderly elderly grandparents, who are both in their 90s and they both raised him in lieu of parents. They've been running the village pub for many decades and Ingvar's grandfather in particular still holds a grudge that his grandson didn't follow in his footsteps as he did in his father's footsteps taking over that said pub. But instead he went on to study in the city thus turning his back onto them and the place he grew up in. There's that resentment and other hostilities like the grandmother who starts actually hitting her husband of almost 60 years when she gets Alzheimer's, punishing him for every little infraction of those many decades of marriage that Ingwer, whose point of view we mostly are in, can only guess what it is about, but you know again there is a lot of hurt and grief in in this novel and because that's you know something that permea- permeates Dörter Hansen's writing the, basically basically it's a lot of about like hurt and grief and dysfunctional families not just of the protagonists but basically everyone surrounding them uh n- again narrated in this very matter-of-fact tone about oh yeah like this you know in this family the children really got beaten every day and in this family there it's just all alcoholics which means like this and that and it's just uh, like kind again kind of jarring sometimes but also a really interesting way of not kind of hiding behind euphemisms which If if you've spent some time in Germany and you've kind of looked at different men, like I want to say, like mentalities, I I would say, Northern Germans are kind of known for that. For like you know, not being very, you know, I guess I guess like some people would find it a little bit off-putting that they're not. They seem very impolite, but they're just very like to the point. They don't really talk around things. They just go straight. To it, um, which I've heard a lot of, and I've re- I've recently actually heard two people talk about differences in mentalities that way, where which is something that I've always said, but <laughs> it, it was funny to hear somebody else who I ha- would never talked about that with uh, basically use the exact same words in uh, uh, you know in that context where kind of if like northern germans are kind of can be kind of a tough nut to crack but once once you're friendly with them you have a friend for life which is something i've always said which was my sort of um perception and it was just funny because a lot of people have said that uh in contrast maybe as well to other um to other parts of the country Where even people who come from these parts say, yeah, maybe it's a little bit, you know, people are more polite, more friendly, but also, you know, other things, which I'm not going to get into, (laughs) because it's always obviously stereotypes as well. And like just uh, painting with a huge brush, it just depends on what you like, like that person that I heard talking about, like Northern Germans uh he said that that's exactly not what he wanted he was talking about it in the context of going out for a drink at a pub um and he said yeah but i don't when i'm like just out in a pub and just start chatting to somebody who's also there i don't want a friend for life i just want a friend for that night basically got it and so like if you're more in western or southern germany that's probably more like you'll be able to get that much more. Better. Will you? Is what is is what he said. Is what he said. Okay. I can't. I can't uh, say anything to that because I've. I mean, we have established in uh, I think our top four Palooza that I can't go to Western Germany because the people are too friendly there. <laughs> I can't. I can't deal with that. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of um, a little bit of an aside, but it also ha- uh, definitely has to do with the you know. Because these novels are ostensibly about northern Germany and its people, I suppose. Um Yeah, so going back to the the tone of the uh of the novels in general, uh and it's a central theme in the novels and of Dr. Hansen's work, that you know, that loneliness that permeates everyone basically one giant intergenerational trauma that everybody's affected by, trying to grapple with it in different and basically always unhealthy ways, trying to ignore it. Alcoholism is this like tough behavior, but like still hurting inside and even suicide for some. Um, And it is this kind of roughness that kind of gives the novel a, a very... i I would say grounded feeling because uh you know again like i've i've known my fair share of northern germany and whilst characters might be a bit overdrawn sometimes and there is a touch of pathos here and there i i think again generally speaking it's a pretty realistic depiction of this sort of mentality there overall because there are especially on like i would say the more rural you get. Uh, <laughs> like there are a lot of taciturn people who are just pretty unable to communicate anything that's kind of below their surface. They play pretty their cards pretty close to the chest. And it's something we've all seen, right? This like sort of toxic way of like not saying rather than saying being unable to talk about a lot of things and and you know once once you start talking it helps for most people but in this in these novels none of the people ever try to th- try to do it or even think of doing it uh, because that's just not how they've been raised and it's kind of a central theme here as well that the the rough surroundings of of nature have kind of shaped these people to become very tough as well which is a little bit ins- essentialist. Uh, but, you know, who am I to judge that having general- generalized for the last 10 minutes? So <laughs> here I am. Uh, yeah, this like this, like, wh- like toxic, not talking about things. There is actually a great line about that in, in Midday Hour, uh, which goes, silence was like a second native language. You'd learn it like you learned to talk. There are so many secrets hidden behind all of the facades of the different characters, the many villages uh, the readers get to know. And over the course of of that book in particular, we find out that Ingvar's mother's identity was kind of an open secret that for the longest time, everybody but him knew it. And his father's identity was cause for some whispered assumptions, never discussed publicly, at least not when people were sober. Which to be fair, uh is not that often the case in this book. Um, I feel like there is uh, there are always alcoholic people in in these three novels. Um, which again I find to be true because there are more of them than you think. Um anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, so yeah, anyway, Ingwer kind of feels like he owes his grandparents for raising him which is why he's taking care of them now and he's you know he is back at the village and now he kind of realizes how much it has changed over the last few decades he was gone and the reader can easily kind of add to that seeing changes there from uh, when before Ingwer was born because we see it in flashbacks or are told about it and you know they live in this place that's not exactly hospitable with the harsh winds the floods and crop failures Uh, and the flashbacks show different efforts to shape to control nature executed by people uh, shaped in turn by that nature itself uh, through the environment that they actually live in and uh, yeah again it's kind of a central theme in all of the in all of her novels. And yeah, it's true for her most recent novel as well, which is called At, at Sea, or Sea." that just came out last year. Uh, wow. it's, it centers on the Sanders family of seafaring ancestors, uh, whalers, fishermen, and the like. They live on an island in the North Sea, which is kind of slowly being reduced in size by the ocean that surrounds it. And the father left 20 years ago to become basically a a hermit, a bird watcher on the next island, which, for the life reality of these people, just he might as well live 500 kilometers away because none of them or most of them don't really get off the island. Um, Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the oldest son is a traumatized ex-captain whose crew was almost killed when a giant wave hit his ship and today he steers the ferry to the mainland whilst drowning his memories uh, with lots of alcohol again we have alcoholics surprise um the daughter (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah the daughter is torn she can't stand being on the island anymore but she can't imagine leaving it either Almost, you know, like the tides always draw her back, or whatever. Oh, how poetic! Ah, uh, thank you, thank you. I I prewrote that. <laughs> I came up with it. I was like, ah, that's that sounds nice. I, I like a good metaphor. That's on brand. Um, yeah, but she's also pretty unhappy about how the island has changed over the course of her lifetime, uh, and so yeah, that's also what pushes her away. Apart from just being fed up with just living where where she's lived all her her life the youngest son who has never really been taken seriously is an accidental big shot artist relatively speaking uh, who is still very grounded in everything like he seems to be the happiest of all of them Um, and the mother is obstinate and proud living life her own way, and it's my way or the highway sort of thing, seemingly weathering everything life throws at her. Uh, yeah, but meanwhile, the island is increasingly taking over by tourists, and the old island's population is marginalized, and old traditions forgotten or used, thus sort of sold to un- entertain the tourists. And we see that, for example, in how how it changes in flashbacks again when the mother is talking about how she was this they, they would host like guest families in their house for the summer and that would kind of mean that the children would have to be somewhere else during the day when when all of the tourists would be basically awake and in high spirits and they would only be able to eat when the uh, the tourists weren't allowed and how the mother would be this different personality where otherwise she'd be pretty grumpy and, and kind of harsh and strict. But she was much nicer when tourists were around. But again, it's sort of a performance. Uh, at least that's how everybody else sees it. And the mother, though, she's the only one who really enjoyed that side of her much more uh where everybody else just felt like oh that she's just putting on an act and kind of resented her for it um especially the daughter who is kind of who thought that mm, she was basically selling out the family to the tourists um but that has changed as well you know it, like decades ago it was families or just individuals coming and living with the locals for a few weeks uh but now they just have hotels there and you know a lot a lot of people just sell their properties for a lot of money because again sort of like with old country um uh you know the p- people who come to the island kind of romanticizing life there and they like Hansen also describes that kind of cycle of oh they're so in love with it and they stay here and they do all of the things and then eventually they just they don't come here every weekend anymore they just come once a month and then eventually they just don't come back ever and you know sell the sell the house and that's kind of the uh kind of the equivalent of that like peasant theater from her first novel and yeah, but everything kind of changes. Not everything, but like a lot of things changes, at least for the family, when suddenly a whale is stranded on the island. And, you know, while whilst the uh, family's life change, it doesn't change the overall problems of the island and how it is just you know succumbing or being kind of yeah you know being overwhelmed by this uber commercial tourism that again some of the locals do benefit from because they have kind of given up their older careers to to kind of cater to the tourists there are there's one family in particular that has these like you know this that goes out uh with the tourists onto the uh onto the beach with the horse like horse carriages and uh, that's what the men in the family do, and the women run the like the tourist shop basically, and so they make quite a lot of money with it um yeah, so you know it's it's an interesting dynamic as well that we have seen before in the first novel, but again it's a very different sort of setting, so it, it it's just kind of fascinating to see the same the same dynamic occurring basically in the same way in a different setting which i think is just true in our real life um so yeah i think you've kind of got a glimpse of the themes of hansen's work um but there's one aspect that i i definitely want to talk about and that's language and that's what has me really interested about the english translation
1: oh interesting okay
0: because you know of course, there's the way that the novels are written, this very psychological, empathetic way, sometimes bitingly awry, sometimes matter-of-factly, to the point of you know, being kind of harsh. Um, but I mostly want to briefly mention that Low German takes a big part of it, uh, the language spoken in uh, coastal regions of Germany and parts of the Netherlands to this day, though I think it's definitely on the decline. I mean, I know for a fact that it's on the decline and slowly dying out.
1: Wait, so part of the book is written in Low German?
0: Uh, the, part of the dialogue, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, at least in the first two novels. And that's what, what has me most interested about the translation, how they deal with that. Um, because it's pretty interesting to you know to read it in german you know it it makes a lot of sense that hansen has used low german for that because it's really realistic especially for the all the generations of those regions that the novels are set in because that's how like the the language that people use there and hansen herself only learned high german when she came to like when she was in primary school and at home yeah at home she talked low german which is true f- until this day in some areas and some families um yeah and th- there is actually in the second book mid uh, midday hour um she mentions how that was like an effort from like edu from basically like the education part of the government to kind of rid people of that and there's the the village teacher who had who basically punishes every any any child who still talks in low german in the classes because because you know how that's how it goes with uh you know the classic nationalist
1: education system yes thank
0: you <laughs> that's what i was gonna say yeah the homogenizing of of language and you know the the central state of uh, central
1: national state mostly Now it's time for... Now clear out, Chris. It's time for me to jump on my high horse.
0: (laughs) Please. Please.
1: No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'll I'll let you keep going. I will spare everyone the 60-minute lecture on the the terror (laughs) of language. Yeah. And my Spotify... Or my Siri decided to start talking to me. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Hi, Siri. Um, Oh, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's only because
0: I don't have Siri enabled, so I don't care. Um, But yes i i mean you know historically speaking this has happened basically in every nation state uh and it it happens here as well where you know oh all of the dialects just sound really dumb and backward and now we're modern we're the nation state and we're building a community and so now we all have to to talk the same language and In the second books, particularly, they are talking. There's a really clear depiction of how that occurs, even on the ground level. And
1: oh, that's like I I wish that was in the first book so I could read it as well.
0: (laughs) Who knows? Maybe the second book is going to be translated too, because they they've now made a movie out of that one as well. So maybe that increases interest in it. Who knows? But I guess you could. uh, you could watch that movie, if, you know, when it comes out and with, the, like, English subtitles, who knows. Cool. Um, yeah, so it makes a lot of sense for Hansen to use that, lang- that language in the dialogue of the first two books whenever the villagers are talking, especially the older ones. And it really also differentiates between in and out groups, those who know and speak the language, you know, the villagers, and those that speak high German, the people from the city the tourists the outsiders and for me it really adds to the you know to reading the novels and the f- general feel of it it grounds them in a way that not many things can duh language grounds novels who would have thought of that um <laughs> you know i can understand it mostly there were some passages that i had to actually read aloud to make sense of because as it was written i was like what the fuck are they talking about and then i kind of just read it loudly and then phonetically it made sense um but you know most of it i could kind of still see but uh, i mean i i've i have people that i know who were still able to to talk that and i wasn't really kind of exposed to that language a lot but still i uh you know i've i've kind of picked up on things a little bit i could never speak it myself but i can at least understand what was written in those novels and so i really applaud hansen for the use of that language mm. and use of language overall because uh, like you know even though this, the themes are similar Uh, book by book it never really becomes repetitive and she has this way of describing characters of making them talk uh, of just you know describing characters having them talk uh, it really draws me in Uh, add to that this like bittersweet feeling that her novels overall have and their themes and in the end I can only say that her books will always have a bought in my personal library and now maybe in yours that we know that it's in an English translation. It's funny, I uh, I just assumed it would never be translated, but I'm happy to know that at least the first book was translated. So if anybody has been listening to this um and is now curious, you can uh what's the title of the English English
1: version again? This House is mine.
0: Yeah. So check it out everybody. I'd be curious to see how it kind of compares to the original version.
1: And I have an update on that. As you were speaking, I bought the book, so it's on the way. Nice. <laughs> That's great.
0: Cool. Well, now this is uh, this was kind of my rundown of Dr. Hansen's books. Sorry that I veered off into generalizing. I, am, I usually don't do that, but when it's true, it's true. <laughs> No, that's, I'm just, just but uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, but I just, uh, you know, I could just, the way she described people, I could just see these people. It's like, I've met these people before. So that's kind of what got me. And that's kind of what I wanted to say in, uh, in that part about, oh yeah, like this is generally true because a lot of the people that I've met from this region are like that um so i can i can only say from my kind of small uh data set that i agree with the way she has portrayed a lot of the people there um and now i'm going to leave the rabbit hole and thank you everyone for listening uh thank you rashad for indulging me as well and now being so fascinated that you've bought the book which makes me really happy
1: so hopefully we can catch up and talk about it after i've read the book so
0: Let's do it. I can't wait to talk, at like in a year probably. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating, whatever that is—five stars, or a thumbs up, or like one star if that's the maximum units, uh, whatever it is. Wherever you listen to podcasts, it really helps us because that that way other people can discover the show more easily. For a shot, I'm Chris and talk to you next time. Bye.